Welcome to the Tatum and Pearson podcast with True Plant, bringing you all the news, views, opinion, and a bit of a laugh from the world of Speedway. Welcome to the Tatum and Pearson podcast with our friends from True Plant. Um, Nigel, we caught up and had a good chat with uh, Steve Johnson a few days ago. I thought it went really nicely. Oh, mate, I can't wait to, to listen to it back. I mean, some great stories, and he doesn't change, does he? He's. Uh... Is the good old Jono we all know and love and miss. And, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to listening to it back. He was on fine form. So, uh, yeah, it'd be a great listen. Yeah, I think he had every reason to be on fine form because um, from what I gather and what he was saying, actually, the, uh, the pandemic hadn't hit Perth quite as hard as it's hit other parts of the world. So I think they've been actually um, largely been able to keep their freedom down there. And I think that that's been a positive for them. In that part of the world, certainly. Yeah, it seems that way. I mean, I think before we started recording, he, he said you'd hardly know it was here in Perth, mm-hmm. you know, so fantastic. But where we are, Kelf, um, in the UK, encouraged to see that things do appear to be improving, um, you know, that uh, lockdown restrictions and the roadmap is pressing ahead as planned. So that's all we can hold on to at the moment, isn't it, really? It is. You're absolutely right. And uh, the graphs that I see uh, at uh, every day, they look like they're on the slide. So that's good news. Um, it is three weeks night since our pod- first podcast. So mm. the time flying by. And like the government, um, they review everything after three weeks. I thought that we would now look at where we are regarding the sport in the UK and the chances of Speedway actually returning you know, I, I, from day to day, I sort of think maybe I think it might not happen. We need to get going by the end of July if we're going to have any sort of league at all. Um, you're quite close to the sport in regards to um, contact with Rob Godfrey and one or two others. Um, what are your feelings about it? I think that the, the, it's cert- they're certainly right not to give up. And I think a target date of August the 10th, there, there or thereabouts, still enables them to uh, promote a competitive league structure. Uh, my own personal view is that I can't, I, I, I'm not sure that all clubs in all divisions will be able to go through and press ahead with the business. We'll see. But I, I still feel, Kelv, that yeah. there is the possibility of some league speedway this season. And, you know, when you look at the stadia, uh, and, I, and I spoke on another podcast um, to, to Ian Brannan, who's a, a radio presenter up in the Northwest. He pointed out that the stadia throughout the UK very rarely play to capacity. Um, and they're vast areas. You look at Kingsland, Peterborough, Leicester, you know, you, you, you've got Swindon even. You know, you've got um, viewing areas from three or four sides of the of the track. And there's... So you're talking about social distance. I am indeed, Kelv, because... Yeah. You know as well as I do, we make a bit of a joke at it at times, don't we? Look, yeah. look, look at all those gaps there, you know. They're, they're, and and there's been times where we've said well, they should put some cardboard cutouts there, like they're now, <laughs> now doing it behind closed doors football. We've had a laugh yeah. about it. But, it was our idea, mate. Yeah, but now, now, you know, we could be looking at that as a as a bonus to help us get restarted. It could happen, you know. I. I mm. I look at Scunthorpe, Rob's own track. I went there for the Benfund meeting in March. Yeah. Uh, and there was only a scattering down the back straight, whereas it was quite congested on the home straight. Well, spread out. And that crowd was a bigger crowd than Scunthorpe would get in a league meeting. So why not? And 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 Rob Godfrey said to me that, you know, he's almost ready to go. He could run a speedway meeting at Scunthorpe with all the appropriate uh, signage 
one-way systems, um, outdoor catering, uh, you know, uh, uh, queues at the turnstiles that would be appropriately uh, spaced out. Right. He could run a meeting tomorrow um, because he's been working so hard on this social distance idea, which also, by the way, Kelv, in my opinion, and, and I'm no science, I'm no scientist. I think that's an understatement. I'm no politician. I think that's an understatement. <laughs> um, but but I, bet I, I just get paid for talking a lot of rubbish. But but in my <laughs> but, <laughs> but in my opinion, you know, we could see some speedway this year. We wow. we 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 will see some league speedway this year in some form. There may be some riders who who will be missing. But yeah, look. Would you rather see a meeting with an RR and a guest or no meeting at all? Let's look at it. We, we, there has to be concessions under these unprecedented circumstances, Kelvin. It could happen, in my view. Well, that's encouraging to hear. And uh, I'd love to think that that was the case. And I think that, um, you know, I'm sure that people would be very keen to see it. And they would be understanding in regard to if the teams weren't absolutely full because of quarantine um, issues and travelling issues between different countries. But... The fact is, is that if we can get some form of league competition that's meaningful, that could start at the beginning of August, then I think people would be absolutely delighted. Well, and... I, I, I'm, I'm not sure about this quarantine rule either. I mean, you know as well as I do, we've got a very, very affectionate, um, we've got very affectionate feelings towards Spain. Um, yeah. <laughs> for various reasons. Um, yes. You know, we like it there. Um, we do. And so does my wife and my, and my children. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> You know, I see quarantine is being is being dropped from July the first in Spain. So, yes. who's yes. to say that quarantine won't be dropped in the UK by the by by the middle of July? Um, you know, so, uh, I, I'd like to think I'm, I'm slightly confused why we're introducing it. Well, today, uh, well, so am I, but we could that, talk all day about that. For politicians to answer, and also than... and also, Kelv, this two meter rule for social distancing. That's being brought into question, left, right and centre. World Health Organisation say it's one metre. So who's to say that by the time August comes round, we won't be down to a one metre recommendation? You know, I'm, I'm reading that pubs are going to be open in July um, with appropriate measures, if you like, um, which is great news. Um, but obviously... Um, <laughs> But, you know, the, the bottom line here is who's to... Life's say? looking good for you, mate, in yeah. the next few months and a half. No wonder I'm, no, I'm, no wonder I'm feeling up. Um, yeah. Quarantine could be crushed and yeah. social distancing could be minimised by August if the graphs keep going as they are now. That is only my opinion. There's no guarantees in any of this and we'll have to just see day by day, week by week. And as a Speedway fan, let's just hope we do get something. Yeah, absolutely right. And uh, I'm, I'm with you all the way there. I think that uh, it would be a major bonus after a very difficult period of time. I think um, it'll be interesting to see how it goes in Poland because they are starting, albeit without people. Um, I've watched a bit of sport, um, the football coming through from Germany um, without fans. Um, yeah. Uh, jury's out on that for me. I think possibly if I had allegiances to a team there, I think it would help. Mm. But actually, as a sort of just a, I'm curious viewer, uh, I watched the match last night between um, uh, Dortmund and Bayern Munich. Mm. To be honest, Nigel, it isn't the same to me. It just isn't the same. So I'll be interested to see 
and hear what it's like when they're racing um, yeah. behind closed doors. Yeah, that that will be interesting. Uh, where can we watch this, Kelv? Without you know, well, I, I want to put it out there. You know, if people can help us, you know, it would be really um, without breaking any rules. Of course. Um, the fact is, is that uh, you know what happens to people that um, break the rules. They they tend to get bombarded by press people outside their houses. Yes, but uh, they get supported by their boss as well. Yes, <laughs> that, I'm um, off for a day trip to Barnard Castle. Are you coming? Fantastic idea. Bring, bring um, the beers. There may be some repercussions, but we'll take it on the chin, son. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> um, no, it's uh, it is it is an interesting one to to look forward to and see how it reacts. And hopefully, if we're lucky enough, we might actually get some reaction from the horses' mouths yeah. um, if we can manage to contact boys yeah. out there. I'm sure, we'll be trying. Um, Nigel, I think that um, you know. I, I'm, I'm pleased to hear that you're enthusiastic about the potential of British Speedway coming back. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this will be as well. Um, I, uh, I do know that the chat we had with Steve was fantastic. Yes. It, it was superb because he certainly, I, I didn't appreciate quite his lack of experience when he came over. He'll explain that really concisely. And that, that really touched me actually how tough it was and, how near the knuckle he was when he was he was just beginning out, and also he's a he's a real bubbly character as well. And I'm I know I've listened to it back, Nigel. It's brilliant. Great. And as I say, uh, for a rider that was so popular, I know that it's going to be something that um, I'm sure the majority of people um, uh, clicking in are going to enjoy. Yeah, brilliant. And 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 well done to everybody again who's keeping interest going during this time. Mm. The, um, the various podcasts, what the clubs are doing as well, social media accounts, uh, you know, well done to everybody who's flying the Speedway flag at this difficult time. Uh, it's important that that, that continues. And just go, just like to clarify my comments, Kelv. Yes, mate. I am enthusiastic, but also the phrase cautiously optimistic is where I'm coming from. Uh, Fair enough. I, I'm not saying it is going to happen. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, but there will inevitably somewhere along the way be complications with riders perhaps here and there. But I would prefer to go and watch any Speedway um, with an RR and a guest rather than no Speedway at all. I hope that... Uh, that... Well, that's not unusual anyway. You know, that <laughs> without pandemic, you know, with the injury issues. So I don't think that's going to be a problem at all, mate. You know, I think that people uh, are more than comfortable with that idea. Yeah. I think they may miss one or two stars if they're trapped in a country away from the UK but um, let's keep our fingers crossed but yes, um, absolutely. I think that sort of sums up where we are nicely for the moment I think that yeah. um, we can um, uh, keep our fingers crossed that uh, things uh, keep improving regarding the pandemic Yes, and um, sooner rather than later we can have some sort of normality back yeah fingers so, crossed uh, yeah, yeah fingers crossed on that score yeah very much so and get the pubs open but anyway um <laughs> Uh, also, just a very quick plug, Rick Miller lined up. We had a great yes. with Rick in California, who's living the life right now, and he's got some great stories from his career. So mm. coming up in future weeks, we're also going to be... Yeah, sorry to interrupt, mate, but that's a really good one, because yes. obviously some people may not remember Rick. A lot of people, from certainly from the Midlands, will. But Rick has got a story to tell because of the transition when he went back home after his uh, uh, he finished racing in, the, in Europe. Yes. He became the stuntman, and I think that that gives that something quite fresh. And I think that 
people will be very interested to hear that. Yeah. He's a great chatter anyway. He's, he comes across terrific and another very popular guy. Yeah, and we struggle to get a word in, which is quite an achievement <laughs> for you and me to get a word in. But, I mean, you know, uh, just before we go to Jono, I mean, uh, you, you, st- speaking of stuntmen, folks, you want to see Tatum driving abroad. I mean, goodness me, that is quite an experience. Uh, well, well, I had to take over because you're... you're, you're, you're or driving on the left-hand drive car on the right-hand side. You had half the car on the other side of the road, well, and I'm on the other side of the car. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I, only, a, uh, only a minor technicality, that, Kel. Don't worry about that. No, but anyway, you're, you're not I, I look forward to the first trip when we can when we can get back on the road over in Scandinavia or Poland or Czech. It'll be great. But uh, I think it's a good time now. Let's head to that interview. Mm. Um, although not not really an interview, it's an informal well, chat. chat isn't it? yeah. and it's a really it's a good one because we know him well. Uh, he was really relaxed and he sounded really bubbly. And I think that um, you know I had plenty of time with him in Australia as well as seeing him out over here in Europe. So I think, uh, as I said before, it's it's a good listen. Yeah, very much so. And and I I was delighted to spend time in the commentary box with him as well. And uh, mm. great great company. So. Uh, once again, thanks to True Plant, Guy Nichols, and all the team for for their support. Let's head over now to that chat with the legend that is Jono Steve Johnston. Over to you, Kelv. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the latest Tateman Pearson podcast. We're now supported by our new friends at True Plant, which we're absolutely chuffed about. Joining us today is a former Australian international and generally a proper good bloke, Steve Jono Johnson. Good day, Steve. How are you getting on? G'day, Kelv. Going well, mate. G'day, Nige. Hey, Jono. Great to speak to you again, mate. All the way down in Perth. Fantastic. Um, how's how's life? First of all, before we get onto the funny stories, how's life? Because I understand you're spending quite a bit of time away from home these days with the the uh, the role that you play, the job that you've got. Tell us about that, Jono. Mate, I, I'm quite fortunate that um, when I came home, I I had a a couple of months trying to find out what I was going to do after riding Speedway. Um, professionally for sort of 20 seasons, I came back home not really knowing where I was going to go and I, and I found myself falling into a job in the mines. Um, we mine, the company I work for, on Mines Iron Ore, um, the, in the Pilbara, which is sort of 1,000, 1,200 kilometres away from Perth and I do the old FIFO. I fly in, work for a week, fly back home and have a week off. It's a, it's a great lifestyle for me because having, having a job like I did for 20 years, coming back and thinking about doing a Monday to Friday, nine to five, was pretty hard to imagine doing a, a normal everyday job. Yeah, I can well imagine, mate. Well imagine. Um, and it really is great to speak to you because I think everybody in British Speedway needs a bit of space at the moment. And, you know, we've got some nice stories to tell. I'll, I'll You know, I know, Calv, you've spent a bit of time with Jono as well, but I'll just recount two stories that come to mind. Are you allowed to person. tell them? Hey, most of the stories I've got with you, Nigel, you're not allowed to say to anyone. <laughs> well, listen, I'm going to try and keep it clean, Jono. Don't worry about that. I'm going to try and keep it clean. Um, okay. I, I, I'm, not sure that's, I'm not sure that's possible. Well, no, back in the Sky Sports days, when we were all a little bit younger, and we're, I remember Jono turned up to, to do a commentary with me, and Jono had a rucksack on his back, and I thought, blimey, he's taking this seriously. He's got all his clipboard of research and rider notes and all the rest of it. So... Jono then rocks up into the commentary box and, and opens his rucksack. And I'm thinking, this will be fun. Let's see what he's got here, the printed sheets and that. He gets a bottle opener and a bottle of Budweiser and cracks one open before heat one. Unbelievable. How'd you get away with that, Jono? Well, you, 
the the thought of working with you, Nige, the ultimate professional, and being able to keep up with you, I needed to calm me nerves, mate. So I just had a couple of stubbies <laughs> while we were commentating. It sort of uh, took the edge off it for me. It was brilliant. And also, just a second one before Kelv comes in on this. Um, I'll, also, I'll always remember a night out in Dudley in the West Midlands when you were riding from Wolverhampton. And you parked... Dudley. Your, yeah, you parked your van across Chris Van Stratton's drive and blocked him in at his own house. <laughs> <laughs> and went on the lash in Dudley with me and a few other boys. And the following morning, um, you woke up on my living room floor and you didn't have a clue where you were. My wife, Kerry, comes downstairs and you say, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, nobody's perfect. <laughs> it was a great night out from what I can remember. Yeah, it was magnificent, mate. Look, we've been very fortunate. We've had a lot of good um, a good laughs. There was some serious stuff in there when we were trying to win races and win leagues and going to Grand Prix and all that sort of stuff. But there was also a lot of fun along the way. So, um, no, I've been very fortunate. Yeah, you've yeah, spent some time with him, Kelv, haven't you? You've spent quite a, quite a bit of time on the road with Jono. Yeah, we had, um, certainly, you mentioned it earlier on when we were out in Australia. There's no doubt that we had a lot of fun on the road when we were in Australia in, on the tours. And, I can remember one particular night in Newcastle where we were in a bar and we were all having quite a good enough, quite a good time. And then Steve decided that he wanted to attack the biggest bloke in there, and he had You're about there, mate. twenty-five mates with him as well. Um, and we sort of there was a bit of a scuffle going on, and we thought, oh yeah, we'll let him get on with that. And then he seemed to be—he was holding his own, but I just sensed that uh, I think we all sensed that maybe the other fella might just get the better of him. So we grabbed him, and we went up across the car park, and we got into the into the van. And we're just about to leave. And then Steve then jumps out again. <laughs> Fellas out in the car park with his mates. And he jumps on his back. And then uh, we just thought, no, sod it. Maybe, you know, you can get on with that. <laughs> Saw him first thing in the morning the next morning. Front tooth missing. Earring's <laughs> been ripped out of his left ear hole. Uh, um, his nose is all, squ- you know, squished across his face. And uh, I think I just said, well, he came second then, mate, obviously. <laughs> yeah, but you should have seen the other bloke. <laughs> No. <laughs> as I said, but, as I said, but you noise, enjoyed your speedway, though, didn't you, Steve? You know, <laughs> as much as you had a bit of fun and and you certainly enjoyed socialising, there's no doubt you, you took your racing seriously as well, and you were you were right up for it. Mate, I was just very fortunate that um, I've ridden motorbikes for most of my life since I was sort of four or five. I had my first motorbike and rode in the bush and raced motocross as a kid. And I sort of just fell into the speedway thing. So it wasn't um, like growing up as a kid. A lot of the juniors, you know, from from when they're 10 or 11 years of age, they want to be Ty Wittenden or Greg Hancock. I I was uh, sort of 19 before I jumped on a speedway bike. Um, And then when when the opportunity arose to to go to England... um, Never had insurance on a van either. For me. I'd never been on an aeroplane. I didn't have a passport. Never been out Still of Australia. Right um, <laughs> no, no insurance. Run it on the old Kerry aid. You know what it's like. Um, so, um, you know, for me to roll up in England and start riding motorbikes and then still be there sort of 19, 20 seasons later and, and have made a career out of it, I was just really fortunate to love riding motorbikes um, yeah. Earn a living at it, meet some fantastic places, and go. Uh, p- sorry, meet some fantastic people from all different countries around the world, and and race in most countries in Europe. 
I mean, that's that's a tr- that's a dream come true, really, isn't it? Um, got me around to all these places. That really is a dream come people. true when you when you get to travel to America and all over the world. You guys were very fortunate, Kelv, weren't you? Yeah, it is, and Steve's absolutely right. You know, if you hadn't got involved with the motorcycling, all those opportunities would never have happened, and all the adventures along the way wouldn't have happened. You may have had some fun at home, but it wouldn't have been the same. You know, meeting people from parts of the world is so cool. You know, different cultures, different languages. You know, and I can I can see it from Steve's point of view. It's even more exciting because you know Australia is a huge place, but you know, you know a lot of Aussies travel overseas. So coming overseas, coming to Europe, and then experiencing all the different cultures, it must have been it must have been fantastic. Yeah, it was good, mate. The, the, um, you know, Wolfie. Rob was the one who, who offered me somewhere to stay and brought me over to start with. And the, I left Perth on a Saturday <laughs> afternoon. It was 37 and a half degrees uh, in February. It was like February 28th. So we're at the airport and I'm wearing shoes and jeans and a T-shirt. And I had a jumper on me, under my arm and all the boys came out to the airport to have a few beers. And they're like, hey, what are you wearing jeans for, you idiot? Yeah. And I said, well, look, when, when I get over there, it's going to be cold. I landed at yeah. uh, 8 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> degrees and I, it was like that, that that skit out of cool runnings you walk through the door yeah, in the right. airport and then you want to run back inside because you're frozen so for, for me it was um and Heathrow just Heathrow airport itself felt bigger than Australia like I'd come from western Australia which um you know it, it's the most isolated city in the world um and landed at Heathrow airport that just felt huge there was people everywhere it was to me it was like chaos so I didn't know what was going on but it, it was, was indeed. Um, it was good. It was all you part started of the racing here in 1998 at Sheffield. You know, when you look back on your British career, I think it was earlier you know, than that, wasn't it? I think. Excuse me, 92. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, 92. 92. <laughs> yeah, big curly hair. I still had hair. <laughs> big curly hair, fantastic. And uh, hey, I've got news for you. So did I back then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we all we all had a lot in 92. A lot more. <laughs> Well, looking back at your clubs, you had plenty of clubs. You probably had nearly as many clubs as Tiger Woods. But um, did you? What, what were the highlights along the way? You won the league a couple of times, I think. Yeah, I, I was fortunate that I did go to um, uh, a lot of different clubs. I mean, you know what it's like with the Speedway game. It, it, it can be a, a numbers game building the team. So you might have had a really good year somewhere and enjoyed yourself and got along with the promoters. And through no fault of anyone, you sometimes had to move clubs. We're all, we're all aware how yeah. the, uh, the averages go when they're building a team. Um, I was fortunate, I suppose, at the start when it really kicked me off. Um, first couple of years was definitely a struggle because, like I said, I, I went to England to learn to ride Speedway. I didn't go to England as an accomplished rider. I ridden sort of two seasons at home at Claremont. And as you know, that was a, over a 600-metre track. So that, I, that, was, that was my first mate, ever meeting in Australia. Track. That was. I couldn't believe it. Should have had your long track. Mate, it was really – you know what? As much as it was good fun to ride, when we were going – you know, when we were a bit – when I got a bit better and you came over as a professional and rode it and it was fantastic, but it didn't do me a lot of favours early on because – my first away meeting oh. for Sheffield was the old Berwick. Um, and I'd learnt to ride at Claremont, where basically <laughs> yeah. you sit on the back mudguard and hold it flat out. You know, you're doing nearly 100 mile an hour. And then you go to somewhere like Berwick or 
uh, Glasgow or even Oxford or any any of the little tight ones. Um, and I just couldn't get around them because I hadn't had that experience. So I even went to Mildura for my first Australian championship and nearly ended up in the river at the end of the straight. You know what I mean? Mildura, Mildura is a problem. So um, Les Claremont was magnificent. It, it was magnificent, but it wasn't a good place no, to agreed, learn to agreed. ride when you had you to are, You also, uh, Jono, you also uh, lived very close by another great character up in Warrington in Screeny, didn't you? Joe Screen, you, uh, you must have spent quite a bit of time with Screeny during your British career. <laughs> yeah, probably too much time for him. He probably would have been multiple world champion if he hadn't spent so much time with me. But um, look, I was again. I was very fortunate that um, that just fell into place. That um, when I went mm. to the UK, other than knowing Wolfie and Neil Machen, um, I knew Dave Cheshire because he's a Perth boy, but he was living up in Middlesbrough. I knew Doyley, Glenn Doyle, um, and I didn't really even know any of the East Coast guys or anything because I'd been over here in WA. So when I got to the UK. Um, a good mate of mine from Perth was actually Screeny's mechanic at the time in 1992. And because I didn't know anyone there, whenever I wasn't riding, I used to drive over to Warrington, um, stay there, go and watch the meetings that Joe was riding in. Cause at the time he was already one of the top riders in yeah, the British yeah. league and, and the world, you know what I mean? So for me, um, I met Joe really through Steve Holding and through um, Michael Johnson, who was mechanicing for him. And we just hit it off. We, you know, same sort of age, um, same sort of <laughs> silly sense of humour. And um, we've sort of really made ever before. since then. Never. We've travelled. Oh, mate, I, I just was, look, sometimes you're in the right place at mm. the right time, sometimes the wrong place at the wrong time. But with 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 those sorts of things, I just... Um, I met Screeny, um, I met um, Steve Holding and Roy Holding from Diamond Transport, who were like my family in the UK, and they um, uh, basically sponsored me and supported me my, through my whole career. Um, and that all sort of fell into place through meeting with Screeny and Diamond Transport was all linked in together. The Collins brothers, they lived just down the road, so I got to know PC and Neil and Les well. Um, yeah, it was a bit of fate. Yeah, it was all sort of fate, intertwined it, really, there in you, know, you just happened to be in, like you say, at the right place at the right time. And, you know, without that, it would have been probably much harder. And you may have questioned whether you kept coming back, you know. But when you've got that support network around you, particularly when you're racing, you you you, you know, and you've travelled, you, you need that, don't you? Mate, there was no doubt at all in those first few years without... The support of Wolfie, I lived there for the first year and a half with um, Sue and Wolfie and Ty was just a baby. Then he was, I think Ty was right. 18 months old when I first went and lived at their place. Without those guys in Sunny Scunny um, and the guys that helped me out in Warrington and Diamond Transport and the Holding family, um, I, I definitely wouldn't have lasted my first two or three years because I was always um, basically on the bone right. to me bum. Like I wasn't making any money. I was crashing bikes more than I was winning any races. I think in them days we were riding for 15 pound a point. So by the time I would sometimes go to an away track and get three or Beer four points, I wasn't even paying for no. maintaining my bike no, or that's tire or anything. That, that's a stark fact. Yeah. So, um, you know, there were times when you went to meetings and you came home and you were poorer than when you arrived, that's for sure. And that... 
Mate, I got home here. I used to come home here and I used to always get the Singapore Airlines flight because it could go straight from Manchester yep. through Singapore and land in Perth. And I used to get home on a Saturday and I'd be onto the Saturday paper to get a job to start work Monday straight away because you, I was always broke. You, were, you had to wow. get a job as soon as you got home just to get some money. And that happened for the first two, probably even the third season. I still wasn't making money yeah. over there. You know what I mean? I was just doing it because I loved it, but um, I definitely couldn't afford a oh, new well, bike that, or a new that's engine. That's an interesting tale. I do know that you did quite a lot of grass track racing as well at one point, and you were out on the continent. And uh, I think you were. You didn't do too bad yourself, Kel. I think you won a couple of races here and there when you weren't up eating my To see the checkered flag a couple of times, but. Delph, you, you, you had a good run out you there, idiot. I remember. <laughs> Mate, to be honest, um, I loved it. I really enjoyed it. I was very fortunate. Again, I'll be sad, I keep saying I'm very fortunate. Look, I think sometimes you make your own fortune, but I, I got to know a lot of really good people. Um, when I was um, probably about, oh, I don't know, 11 or 12, I had nothing to do with Speedway while I raced junior motocross. But Wiggy got balloted at our place as a, as a foreign rider who used our workshop. So it was back in about, oh, I don't know. I think it would have been 84, right. 85. Like I was still in school. So I'd, I'd met him all yeah. those years ago. Peter Carr was another one who came out with the British lines and he stayed with us for a summer. So when I got out to the UK, all these years later, and I was riding Speedway, people like Wiggy and right. Peter Carr, they started to help me a little bit. And sort of went good, to make good relationships people, with people. John, good people. Um, it all just spirals off. Well, mate, can you imagine going to Sheffield yeah. in my first year? I got signed up by Cliff Carr. Um, unfortunately, in them days, I was um, an assessed rider. So mm. I came in on a seven and a half point average. Never ridden in the British League. Been riding for 12 months in Australia. Had very second rate gear. And I found... Peter Carr's riding at number one. Neil Everts is riding at number five, and they throw me in at number three as a heat leader, and I've got to try and win some races. It was just, <laughs> it, was a, it was quite a challenge. But I had Peter there was helping me. I didn't have money for anyone to do my engine, so I used to drive up to Preston, rip my engine apart. Peter would service it for me and try and get the old shed that I had going as quick as he possibly could with what, what I had. Great story. Um, Great story. Reality, well. really, there, Calv, of it is out in the sport, isn't it? It is, and sorry. So I, I I went off the I went off the beaten track there. Where I was getting to was in ninety five nineteen ninety six. Um, Martin yeah, Hignett, who owns yeah. Simple Technology. Um, yes, yeah, so and Martin was a former mechanic of uh, Peter Collins, yeah, the yeah. mechanic for yeah, Michael Lee. For a while. Um, for a while. He also yeah. mechanic for Rick Miller years ago. Um, well, anyway, Martin knew Wiggy quite well, and he rang Wiggy up and said, look, Jono wants to ride some long track and some grass track. What do you got? And we were very fortunate to get hold of um, a chassis off him from one of his yep. 1995 World Long Track chassis. Michael Lee then, um, <laughs> Martin made another phone call and convinced Michael to get back involved with Speedway. Um, Michael hadn't been around Speedway or grass track or long track or anything sure. for many years, as you remember, when he went off the scene. 
And um, Michael came back, got involved, built an engine, and that's the engine that we put that engine in Wiggy's long track from um, the World Final the year before, and we won the European Championship on it. I was the first Aussie to win it, and I think the only Aussie that's ever won the European Grass Track Championship. So we were, you know, yeah, it was because I, I remember it. Nice. Yeah. I remember it. Yeah. And I, I remember it was quite a sensation, and it was the talk of the paddock for some time that an Australian had won the, the Grass Track Championship. And, yeah. Rightly said, Steve, you know, that that was a rarity. It was always a European that did that. Yeah. And uh, you turned up out of nowhere and uh, picked up gold. And as I say, you must you must look you must look back on that very fondly. Oh. Well, it was funny because I definitely wasn't no one thought that I'd win it. I was at the time I was actually quite, um, you know, proud. I thought to myself, oh, I've made the European grass track final. Went through all the qualifiers, went through um, one in France, one in Belgium, and one yeah. uh, in Holland, actually, in Holland. Right. At that Bob Dolman's track, we rode there. And um, at the time, I just thought, oh, you beauty, it's my first year in grass track and I've made the European final. So everyone was looking at other people that were yeah, going to un- sort of be in the top half a dozen. Um yeah, but that suited me. I've made the underdog a lot of times, and it, it's good sure, because yeah. you just have a crack, don't you? Why they're not talking about you and focusing yeah, on absolutely. you? Absolutely, and your best shot was good shot. enough. So that was a terrific effort. And uh, as I say, you say you now you're back in 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 uh, Western Australia, Perth. You're happy. You're you're comfortable with your life because obviously it's a huge change. It must have been a tough call to go back. Mate, look, at the time I'd been away, there was, a, there was a few things that happened. I'd been away for 20 years. Um, I missed home a lot, you know, family and friends over here. Um, really, uh, you know, in January that year, Wolfie had passed away. Um, another close friend of mine that I did my apprenticeship um, with died two weeks before Wolfie did at the same time. Um, and I just had one of those years in 2010, I was just homesick and I wasn't settled. Uh, I started off giving it a really good crack and wanted to do well at Birmingham. And by halfway through the year, I just knew that it was time for me to pack up. You know, you, if you haven't got the fight and you, and you don't want to win races, why should you still keep going around in circles? You, you're there mm. to try and win and do the best for your club and your supporters. You've got to give it a hundred percent. And I just, I'd lost that, um, yeah, I just mm. lost that. Can I just before that, that before we wrap this it, up, you know? Kelv? Um, yeah, Jono, can I just talk to you about the two league titles you won? I'm aware of two: 2001 with Oxford, and then remarkably in 2007, yes, Oxford closed down mid-season, and Coventry brought you in for half a season, and you went on to win the league there. What are you, what are your memories of both those title-winning seasons? Mate, don't forget 2004 oh, with the mighty Lanigo. I missed that one. Don't, mate. You know what I mean? Amanda hey, Castagna will give me a good idea if I don't jump, mention the Italian championship. How high? How high? <laughs> how high? Exactly. Yeah. No. Um, look, any any of those major league titles you win is fantastic. Um, Oxford was was great. We had a really good team. Um, the purchases were fantastic to ride for. They were, you know, uh, good promoters and good friends. Um, 2007 really was like a play yeah. Monopoly and getting a get out of jail free card. By the time by the time Oxford went uh, went bump and owed all of us money, 
um, you're sort of sitting in three or four months into the season, owed a fair bit of money with no club. Uh, you still got all your bills to pay. You got a mortgage to pay. You got bikes to pay for. You got everything else. And it was actually, you know, the way that um, a place became available for me at Coventry, it didn't only save the season. It actually yeah. made it a fantastic season that it didn't want to end. I got to October. Normally, I'm ready to fly yeah. back to the warm climate and get back and see the family. But I got to the end of October in 2007. I, I could have kept riding for another couple of months. I was just having an absolute ball. Um, fantastic club to ride for. Uh, Mr. Sandu, like, w- what you see is what you get. You know, he did a deal and stuck to everything. Um, yeah, it was brilliant. just a pleasure brilliant. to ride there. Well, I say, summing you up, Jono, great company, party animal, <laughs> decent speedway rider, who's lived life to the full. And you're a family man now, I know, back in Australia. Who would have ever thought it, Kelv? Steve John L. Johnston, a family man. My goodness. Oh, mate, it's full on. And they're, they're like, um, we call them um, search and destroy. <laughs> they're definitely a double act. Fantastic. I must admit, it, it, it does sound a little strange when, I, when I've been just like reminiscing about the times um, that we've been charging around and remembering lots of the, the, the you know, all the, all the dramas that went on. Now that you're settled back in Australia, I, I'm delighted for you as well because you, you had it tough. You know, you've described it very honestly in this podcast about how tough it was at times racing and surviving in, in Britain and, and um, racing for a living. And now you've gone back home and you've got a good job and you've got a family. I think, um, uh, you know, you must be, you must be pleased and feel uh, fortunate that, that that's happened. Yeah, mate. You know, look, life all, life brings you ups and downs and there's always a few challenges along the way. Um, I've got two beautiful boys. One of them is uh, nearly right. three. He's three in July. Um, I've got the other bloke who's five. He's six in um, November. And they are an absolute handful and they're fantastic they're into camping and motorbikes and fishing and just normal healthy little boys so i'm i'm really really fortunate and they're going to keep yeah, me, yeah. they're yeah. going to keep me busy days, and poor them, but uh, <laughs> no i mean just just finally Jono, <laughs> when all this is over across here the, the virus and, and all the rest of it um do you foresee a situation where you can get your backside back over to the uk at some stage for a trip Look, I'd love to. Um, when I came over in 2018, and it was great to see you guys. It was great to see a lot of friends. I didn't, I didn't see everyone I wanted to because it was just, um, it was just hectic trying to get yeah. around. The little bloke then hadn't even turned one, um, and the older fellow was only three. And it obviously, um, it doesn't stop you doing things, but it just changed your time scale on and um, getting the speedway meetings that run until 10:30 at night and stuff like that. So. Look, I would love to get back there as soon as possible. If I was in a situation where I um, I won the lotto or something, I'd come back every summer. I'd come back every June, July and try and do Cardiff and see some friends. But realistically, when I'm working and with these kids, I'll, I'll get back um, when well, time yeah. and than later, finances mate, but we, we wish you well and good health. And listen, it's been an absolute pleasure to have this conversation with you, Jono. And also, I regard it as a privilege and an honour to have worked with you on television and, and to have shared some laughs and interesting experience, uh, interesting experiences away from television. And I'm sure you feel the same way, Kelv. I do indeed. And uh, it's um, been 
super hearing from you, mate. And uh, we uh, appreciate the time you've given us because it's going to make a great podcast. It's a terrific listen. Just been sitting there and just going through it. I think um, uh, I think plenty of people will be tuning in to, to hear what you've got to say. So thanks very much, Jono. That's been brilliant, mate. We'll uh, we'll catch up when we can, mate. Guys, look, thanks to you guys. It's fantastic to catch up, stay in touch. And I'd just say g'day to everyone over there in the UK, the whole of Europe, all of our friends. I know some people are doing it um, pretty tough. Um, people are isolated and locked up. Well, you and, being locked um, up by John. Uh, well, I shouldn't say locked up, but sort of staying, staying at home. Yeah. So, look, g'day to everyone over there. Um, I hope things start to pick up for you all as soon as possible. And um, I look forward Legend. to whenever it yeah, may be, cheers, catching mate. up and saying g'day.